0: What is up, Vineyard Northwest family? It's Wilson. This last Sunday, I kicked off a summer series we are doing on the Book of Acts called The Rise of the Church. In this first message, titled Obeying and Praying, I talk about what the apostles were doing leading up to the day of Pentecost that I believe was crucial to them seeing this huge revival and huge harvest of souls. So I hope you enjoy the message, and I hope even more that you apply it to your life. Bless you guys. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Wilson. If we've never met, it's really good to see you guys. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And um, we're actually kicking off a new series this morning. This series is called The Rise of the Church. So it's gonna be good. We're gonna go through um, the book of Acts throughout this summer. And there's a couple different themes we're looking at. But I just want, did you know that Jesus left one institution on earth before he went to heaven? There's one institution he left and it was the church. So it's really important that we keep a heart that's like, Lord, how do, you, how, how do I be part of the church and how do you use me in the church? It's easy to um, criticize the church. It's easy to see the things wrong in the church. But I just want to propose to you is that when you do that, what you're doing is criticizing yourself and seeing things that are wrong with yourself because the church is us. The church is the collective, it's all the believers on earth gathering and being one heart, one mind. And so um, this series, we're going to really focus on how we see the church answering not only society's problems, but answering Jesus's call to bring the kingdom to earth. And that's our mandate as people in the church, is to bring the kingdom to earth. So in this series, we're focusing on a couple things. Um... And there's these different themes we see happening early in the book of Acts, and we want to see these themes even more in our life today. So boldness, we see that um, believers and those people who are followers of Jesus, they moved in tremendous boldness and confidence, and that not only did they move in boldness and confidence, but they actually saw results from that. There's a great harvest that happens all throughout the book of Acts, and continually, we see joy busting out, and people being filled with joy, and believers being envisioned and filled with hope for more of God's kingdom to come, and in resulting, they had joy. Now, the last thing that we're going to emphasize that we don't like to talk about a lot is the difficulty and persecution that the church actually experienced, and it's really funny. Like, It's this cyclical thing, what I have up here. We see them, like we saw that video at at um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which by the way, did that put anyone to sleep? I felt like I was meditating to a British, you know, like um, meditation app or something as I listened to that. So I actually, then I did the declaration in a British accent just to kind of mix it up. So if you get bored with the declaration, just, you know, throw in another accent. But there's this cyclical thing that happens when the kingdom of God advances. Believers have boldness. They step out and do things they wouldn't normally do. God shows up, they're filled with joy, and then difficulty and persecution come. And then from that difficulty and persecution, guess what happens next? More boldness, more harvest, more joy, more difficulty and persecution. There's this cycle we go through when God is moving. And it's important that when we get to stage three, if you will, difficulty and persecution, we don't shrink back. Because we're not used to, the world doesn't train us to embrace adversity. You know, um, McDonald's and Chipotle, it doesn't train you, social media doesn't train you to embrace hardship. But that's why we have this, because we can recalibrate when we, fo- when we hit something hard and we realize, oh my goodness, I'm on the edge of breakthrough. When you face difficulty and persecution, it means that you are on the edge, you're on the very tip of where God is moving in the earth and where he's advancing. So we need to embrace difficulty and persecution. We need to see it coming and say, yes, this means something good is coming next. Um, So this is what we're gonna be focused on in this series. These, we'll be kind of cycling through these things. Before I dive into today's um, passages and today's actual topic, I just wanna remind you of a message I did a couple months ago called the Kingdom Thread. In the Kingdom Thread, I talked about how there's one story going out through the whole Bible. And it's about God establishing his kingdom through people on earth. We were created with a threefold um, mandate to be fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. The fact that we were supposed to subdue the Earth from the beginning, this is before the fall, before we handed over our authority to the enemy, before we obeyed Satan, did you know that um, God commanded humanity to subdue the earth. You know what that means? is that we were born for adversity. We were born to conquer. There was never a plan that God had that didn't involve us sweating, <laughs> okay? And so this, so this, this message here as I gave, I walked through where we see the kingdom popping up all throughout the New Testament, and it ends in the book of Acts. And what, we, what I tend to do is I tend to think of the book of Acts as just being a book in the Bible. But what I am propose to you guys is that you are living in the book of Acts, that we are living in the book of Acts right now. We're in chapter 2000 or 2 million or 2 billion, whatever, you know, whatever, okay? And don't, you know, I'm not like saying like, write this down and put it in the Bible or this is inspired or something. But what I'm saying is we are living in biblical times. And I don't mean that in an apocalyptic scary way. I mean that to read, to adjust how you're thinking. and say, whoa, I'm alive in the same era of time that the apostles were alive. There's only been one change and shift in, in time in the whole history of everything, and it was Jesus coming to earth. That's the only time that everything changed, all right? It's easy to get caught in this mentality like, well, I live in, we live in you know, modern day America, or it was different back then. And that's just this trap way of thinking to excuse us from um, applying the book of Acts to our life now. So I just want to encourage you guys that this summer, as we go through this series, we are actually just continuing. We're we're looking at our history as believers in the book of Acts. So let me pray, and then we're going to look at several passages in the book of Acts that kind of kicked off the church. Lord, I just pray you just release faith in the room right now to us. I pray you would stir us to not only see you more clearly, but to see our role in history more clearly. We reject passivity and we embrace um, our commission to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. God, we just say, fill us with boldness. Fill us with a mighty boldness. It says in Proverbs that the righteous are as bold as lions. You are righteous, so you have so much boldness. I so just bless the boldness that rests on every person's life in here. Father, we want to see great harvest. <laughs> we want to see incredible harvest. Use us for a great harvest. Fill us with joy. And God, I pray that um, right now you just set our minds to not shy back from difficulty we repent for when we have. Oh man, I have, Lord. I have stepped back from moments that I knew I would face adversity if I did something for you or spoke for you. I say I'm sorry for that and I thank you that I can walk forward with great boldness and joy and I can see a harvest. So we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I have four words for us this morning. Well, I have five, but if I tell you the fifth, it'll kind of spoil where I'm going. So I'm going to tell you the four words I have. Promise, power, response, and results. In the first two chapters of Acts, we see a promise given. We see power released. We see a response. And then we see incredible results. So let's look at this together. In Acts um, chapter 1, verses 4 and 8. I'm kinda like for the sermon this morning. I'm piecemealing the Bible together a lot. You just gotta take notes, go read it on your own if you don't trust how I'm kinda splicing scripture together. Promise you I'm being honest and not like making this say the thing I want. Let's just be honest. You guys don't want to hear me read more than I'm going to read already, okay? So Acts 1, 4, and 8. Here's what it says. And while staying with them, he ordered them. Everyone say ordered them. Ordered them. Not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. And then here's the promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's a lot of good stuff here, but what I wanna pull out really quickly is two things. First, there's a promise. Jesus says, there's something that the Father is gonna send to you when I go back, but you have to actually wait for it. Now, here's the second thing I want to pull out, where they had to wait for it, where they had to wait for it. In general, we're not like super hip and on top of our Middle Eastern, uh, Near Eastern geography. And like I, you hear Jerusalem, and you're just like, oh yeah, that's where they all lived. Or you hear Jerusalem, and you just think like, yep, that was like, you know, the place that Jesus always was. But you know that Jesus' ministry is in this large country called Israel and Palestine then. And Jerusalem, where he commands them, he says, Wait in Jerusalem. And then he tells you, You'll receive power in Jerusalem and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem. I just want to propose to you that every time the apostles heard Jesus say the word Jerusalem, they winced. <laughs> because where they were, they're on the mount, they're on a mountain when Jesus is saying this, and it's probably actually just like a big hill, but they're on this big hill called Olive, when Jesus is saying this to them. And you know what I think is going on in their minds? after this ends, whatever's happening here, I'm going back to Galilee, or I'm going back to Nazareth. I'm going back to my hometown. That's what these guys are thinking. And Jesus says, no, stay in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. And you know why I think they were wincing? Because Jesus was just murdered in Jerusalem. The religious leaders just killed Jesus for being Jesus in Jerusalem. And he says, hey, I want you guys to be just like me and talk about me where I was just murdered. You know what they're probably thinking? We're next. <laughs> There's about to be 12 more crosses up there. And we're each one for 11 at this point. We're all going to be up there. So when he says Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, he's actually saying, stay in the lion's den. I want you to stay and wait in the most dangerous place possible for a believer in me right now that's what they're hearing when he says jerusalem not their hometown not the places close by they're hearing stay where there's going to be difficulty and persecution and pain and suffering so that's the promise good promise thanks a lot god um, and then we see great power release, where the promise was worth it. The waiting was worth it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You know, last night I was putting my daughter to bed, and I was she's three years old, and so I was sitting in her room with her because she was so scared of the fireworks going off. And as I sat, her, her she her room is a, there's an exterior wall to our house on it. I was sitting leaning against that wall and some fireworks would go off and I would feel my house shake, <laughs> like boom. And it'd be that thud you feel in your chest even. And I just thought, man, this is kind of probably what it was like on Pentecost. It was like actual felt power happening. And, it, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Powerful passage, but I don't want to talk about the stuff that we always hear here, okay? We've all, or a lot of us, have heard how, this is kind of like the seminal, charismatic, Pentecostal scripture, is the day of Pentecost, and we cry out for Pentecost to happen. But I want to turn, I just want to turn the coin over and look at another side of this. Remember when I was talking about the message that I gave before, the kingdom thread? And number two, Babel. Well, what happened at Babel? God came down and he divided up all the people at Babel. And what did he do? He made them all speak in different languages for the first time and sent them out. And this was actually an example of God's discipline and punishment towards humanity because they were disobeying him. Well, look, in Acts uh, two, one through four, this is the full circle of Babel happening. God sends his angels down to earth and actually releases his presence to them. He gives a blessing to them and he sends them out to accomplish his mission on earth. That word, when it says divided tongues as a fire, my friend just told me last week, that's the same word in the, it's the same word in the Greek Old Testament for when God came down and divided humanity and sent them everywhere. So we're meant to think of Babel here. We're meant to think of, wow, the redemption is happening where humanity is now being sent out. So that's the power. Um, The response is so sweet. This is at the end of the chapter, verses 37 through 39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, okay, so the people who hear this message, um, Peter stands up, gives an amazing sermon. um, And everyone is like, There's two people he's preaching to. There are the people who hear the apostles speak and all the people in the upper room in these different tongues. And then there's the doubters that he's preaching to that think they're all drunk. So Jesus, or Peter gives this amazing sermon to all these people, a mix, okay? It's a captive audience, but they're not all seekers and hungry for God. Some of them are actually doubting God. But this is their response after they hear Peter's message. They are cut to the heart. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I love it when scripture talks about me. Yeah. Don't you like that? <laughs> Doesn't that like inspire you and make you just want to like go like this and be like, "Woo!" <laughs> that's talking about me. I'm far off. The Holy Spirit's for me. In the same way it showed up, he's saying, look, what's happening here right now, this same promise is for your children and your children, (laughs) all who are far off. Say, that's me. That's you. The promise is for you. The same promise of power, the same type of power they experienced at Pentecost is the type of power we're supposed to experience. You get that, like that's what they would associate it with. Speaking in other languages, fire manifesting, flames of fire appearing before our eyes, over our heads. That's the type of expectancy we need to have, and here's the re- we should expect that, and here's the result. So those who received His word and were baptized, and there, so those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. So 3,000 people say yes, right there in that moment. They say, yes, I, I wanna know Jesus, I, I repent. I was just one of the people yelling, crucify him. That's who these people are probably. The same people who are saying, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. Look at the mercy of God there though. The same people that just crucified him are the first ones he calls into the family. And 3,000 people that day were added And the church is, this is kind of the birth moment of the church, if you will. The church is born in a great demonstration of God's power, a fulfillment of scripture. And I just want to ask you guys, what would you call this? Like, you can talk if you want to. You can yell at me. Like, what would you call happening here? If you could use a modern day term to describe it. Revival, right? Come on. I got some uh, fireworks for us. So that's what happened, right? Revival, <laughs> like revival, explosion. You know, tons of people come to know Jesus. Great power is released. Well, I actually don't want to talk about revival right now. I kind of was like leading myself up, right? To like, hey, let's talk about revival. And woo! But I want to, I want to look at what happened that preceded this revival. I want to talk for the next 10, 15 minutes about what preceded this revival, what preceded this great outpouring of God's power, what preceded 3,000 people coming into a relationship with Jesus, what preceded people who were terrified to be in Jerusalem standing on a rooftop and yelling about the person who had just been murdered and saying basically, here here I am, take me too, you know. Like we got to think that's what Peter must have been thinking as he stood up and preaches this sermon. I want to look at what is it that made him that type of person, And what is it that made the apostles those type of people? But before I go there, I do want to talk about revival for just a second. There's a book recommendation I have for you. This is the best picture I could get of this. It's kind of pixelated, but the guy in the middle, his name is Duncan Campbell. And the two women on his right are sisters, um, both by the last name of Smith, Peggy and Christine Smith, who are just people on fire for prayer. Like they, they lived to pray. And this picture is taken in 1949 in an area of Scotland called the Hebrides. It's a whole area of island chain, chains in um, Scotland. And it's a, it's a, re, a revival happened there in 1949. And I wanna to read to you what it's like, um, a more like modern day account. We just read in Acts what revival looks like, but I wanna tell you what revival could look like in Cincinnati. I want to like just weigh your appetite for what it would look like if Revival busted onto the scene here in Cincinnati. Um, I highly recommend this book. It's called Revival in the Hebrides. It's a compilation of sermons and like accounts, but it's just really good. It, it, it'll stir you. It'll, it'll make you um, excited. And as I read this, it's written by someone who did not speak American English so just kind of like roll with it as he says weird things. Okay. In 1949, the spirit of grace and supplication fell upon a congregation in the village of Arnall, on the Isle of Lewis in the Scottish Hebrides. They prayed for revival. One night, they crowded into the home of the blacksmith, a smith named Smith. But the spiritual atmosphere was dry. A sense of deadness prevailed as one after another tried to break through in prayer. Duncan Campbell, a visiting evangelist, called on Mr. Smith to pray. The Smith called Smith. The prayer was—just sh- prepare to be offended, okay? Just prepare yourself, what, what you're about to hear. The prayer was short and sharp. Oh, God, you made a promise to pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And, Lord, it's not happening. He paused and then continued in a rising voice. Lord, I do not know how Mr. Campbell or these other men stand with you. But if I know my own heart, I know that I am thirsty. You have promised to pour water on him who is thirsty. If you don't do it, how can I ever believe you again? Your honor is at stake. You're a covenant-keeping God. Fulfill your covenant engagement. And then a lightning came from heaven and that was the end of Mr. Smith. No, I'm just kidding. That's what we expect, right? A lightning bolt to, you know, but listen, listen to God's response. At that instant, the granite, this is a granite house, shook like a leaf and a power was unleashed that swept the entire parish. Campbell said, I could only stand there in silence as wave after wave of divine power swept through the house. And in a matter of minutes following this heaven-sent visitation, men and women were on their faces in distress of soul. He stepped outside and discovered that the whole village was astir, though it was 11 o'clock at night. People with lanterns and flashlights were making their way along the roads and across the fields toward the meeting place as if summoned by a silent bell. (laughs) Next day, the looms were silent and work stopped. Everywhere, the people gathered to discuss this strange invasion from heaven and the awareness of God's presence that now pervaded the community. Spontaneous prayer meetings took place in homes and on the streets. You met God on the meadow and the moorland, said the parish minister. You met met him in the homes of the people. God seemed to be everywhere. Come on. Do it here, Lord. I would love for that to happen. Would anyone else? (laughs) I would really like that. Top of my list, Amazon wish list, number one, okay? (laughs) Like, I really, really desire for that to happen while I'm alive on this earth, all right? <laughs> and I think we should all have it. And I think we should even have faith and expectancy and belief that that's going to happen. I really do think that there's a very good chance that's going to happen sometime, <laughs> you know, while, while I'm alive. And I hope it happens next week. I hope it happens next month, a year from now. If it happens 20 years from now, I want my heart to just be waiting for that moment still, Okay. But what I I want to tell you is there's something God wants to do in us to contain that and to release that. He's not like, like revival is not something that we can make happen. You know that? We can't make revival happen. Revival is God initiated, but God is looking for people who will steward revival and he's looking for people who will ask for it. That's where he's gonna pour it out. This encourages me because it means it could happen at any moment through any one of us. And that's what I wanna talk about now is what I see happening in the book of Acts that led to revival. What, what I see the apostles practicing that led to a great outpouring of the spirit. I could sum it up in two words. They were obeying and they were praying. They were obeying and they were praying. We talked about this. Jerusalem was a scary, dangerous place to be. And guess what they did? They obeyed Jesus and they returned to Jerusalem. They said, Wherever you say to go, we'll go. Step one, they obeyed. And then what happened? And then what did they do? All of these, and it lists a bunch of people's names in verse 13, and it's talking about the apostles. With one accord, we're devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. If we want to see revival happen, we need to have a we need to be a people that obey and that pray. That's what I believe God is looking for from us: obedience and prayer. Another way to say it would be obedience and intimacy. And you know that. Jesus talks a ton about obedience and he talks a ton about love and you know he usually talks about them hand in hand like right next to each other like in John 14 21 he says whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me and whoever loves me will be loved by my father and I will also love him and I will make myself known to him you see when you get the message of identity and grace and we start to realize how ridiculously God loves us and prefers us and how he is actually just super, super pleased with you at your core, what we act, what we can start to do is we can like um, let that spill over into this thought that God is pleased with all of our behavior and that God is pleased with all of our actions. And what I want to tell you is this, my children, I love them not because of what they do. I love them because it's something God's put in me that I just, I just can't help but goes towards them. But I'll tell you this, I am not always pleased with their actions. <laughs> and you know what I, what I really enjoy? When they obey me, which I have a one-year-old, so that's not even on the table. But my three-year-old's at this point where it's like, constant wrestling match, are you gonna obey or am I gonna have to go pray? Like, <laughs> you know, what's happening right now? But guys, I just wanna call us higher. like it's so important that we understand our identity as children of God, but that doesn't mean that God won't put a demand on your life. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says in um, Matthew 17. No. It's Luke. Luke. Okay, this story. Luke 17, it's a parable. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants we have only done what was our duty. That doesn't like jive with a lot of the message we, like the gospel of identity and grace we champion, right? And the reason is because the kingdom of God is a mess, it's something held in tension. It's a message we have to hold in tension. We are loved and because of that love, we obey. And we, we go between these. Sometimes you're not gonna feel loved. You're not gonna th- realize you're loved. And so you know you can do in those moments? You can just obey. And when you're feeling loved, obedience is just natural. So I just wanna, I wanna call us to a deeper perspective of what obedience looks like. Obedience isn't something we do just when we feel like it. Obedience is a heart posture. It's a, it's a posture towards God that we just wanna maintain in our heart at all times. And then praying. Um, we want to be people who pray. Look at what happens in Matthew 9. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So God says, Jesus is saying, look, there's a ton of opportunity right now. (laughs) There is a lot of opportunity, but there's actually not enough people to take advantage of the opportunity. Pray that more people would begin to go out and take advantage of the opportunity that is in front of you right now. Tie this back to the thing I was talking about earlier with we are living in the book of Acts. We can take this for ourselves. We can look out and say, man, the harvest is plentiful right now, but God needs more workers. So we can pray for it, and then guess what God does next? He kind of like does this really sneaky thing to them. Matthew 9, 38, he says, pray for more people to be sent out into the harvest, and then he sends them out into the harvest in, in chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These, oh, then in verse 5, it reiterates these 12 Jesus sent out. So lots of times we end up being the answer to our own prayer. When we commit to a life of prayer, we're not just committing to asking God to do things, we're committing to being the agent through which God does things. I have some neighbors who are kind of wild, you know, like um, there's police at the house a lot and we love them so much, but there's just a little bit of pandemonium going on there. There was one morning where I was just praying for them in my backyard. And um, I was honestly judging them. And then I was okay, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna pray. <laughs> so I turned and I started to pray for them. And I really love them, they're good friends. They would probably laugh if they heard this. I hope they do. Um, and I start praying for them. And I'm just saying, "Pray, God bless them. I, I just release your blessing and your life over that house. Thank you, that's a house that you have so much love for, the people in there you're going after, you're pursuing, you love them. Da, 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 da. I prayed in tongues for a couple minutes and that was it. Well, two days later, I see this church van roll up and they build them a deck in their backyard. And I'm just wondering if my prayer had something to do with that. <laughs> like if me actually praying for, for something to happen, good to them, me praying they'd be blessed, if blessing then actually came yes. because of my prayers. Yes. And then I had the privilege of, Several months later, to lead the most wild guy in that house to the Lord. Wow. And he accepted Jesus, got free from heroin. And then I had the privilege a couple weeks ago to do his funeral because he passed away. And I feel like this experience for me was like a parable for us. Yeah. We're called to be part of the full circle, you guys. We're called to be people that pray then obey and actually get to see the fruit. And then we go back into more prayer and then we see more fruit. We pray and we see more fruit. We pray and we're driven into obedience because intimacy and obedience go hand in hand. Just to tell you guys the reputation that that you have. Okay. I want to tell you about the reputation all of you guys have. This week, one of our, two of our staff members were downtown praying for people. And they went up to a lady who was playing violin on the street and they had some words for her. They prophesied over her and she was really impacted and blessed. And then she says, where are you guys from? What church are you from? And they said, oh, we're from Vineyard Northwest. She was like, I knew it. I've had so many people pray for me from Vineyard Northwest. And I was just like, what? Like, I've never prayed for her. I, don't, I asked several different summers like, does this sound familiar to you? They said, no. So guys, this is who we are. This is one of the things God has called us to do in this city. He's called us to be a people of, of obedience that step out in uncomfortable situations. Say, hey, I just felt like God said this to me about you. Or, hey, I was wondering, could I say a 10-second prayer for you? That's just in your blood. I just want you to know that's, that's who you are. That's, that's natural for you. That's not a stretch. That's not something that you need to take four steps to start doing. That's something that you can start doing today. So just a couple of practicals to kind of wrap things up. Um, I just wanna talk three tips for obeying. Start in the Bible, live in submission and do it quickly. So when you read your Bible, read it with the lens of Lord, I want to know you better so that I can obey you better. I want to know you better so that I can actually behave differently. And it's not that you're associate. you don't, the trap we fall into is we associate with we, what we do with who we are. That's not how it works. Only Jesus determines who we are. Jesus is sacrificed on the cross, coming out of the grave. When you embrace him, you become a child of God. No amount of good deeds can make you a better child. No amount of bad deeds can make you a bad child. God makes you a child. But your behavior still matters to him. Your obedience still matters to him. So when you read the Bible, I'd encourage you, at the end of every time reading the word, say, Lord, what can I do to obey what I just read? I don't want more knowledge. I want more revelation. And then I want to obey. Second, do, um, live in submission. Live in submission to the word of God. That's where you come into obedience to them. But live in submission to people. Have people around you that you're actually doing what they say. That you aren't primarily influencing, but that are actually influencing you. And then you're just copying them. You're doing the things they do. And then third thing, do it quickly. When you get a chance to obey, make a point of just right away going for it. Now, really quick, three things with praying, and then we're going to actually pray together for a moment. Um, Start in the Bible. Man, what is there's something God's been doing in my life with prayer. I haven't always been passionate about prayer. All I used to do was like the casual, spontaneous prayer, where like I would just have a need and I'd pray, or I'd be worshiping and I'd like, love you, God, blah, blah, blah. I just kind of talked to him. But you know, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, you know what Jesus didn't say? Just talk to God. (laughs) the disciples said Jesus teach us how to pray he didn't say all right just you know act like he's right here in front of you and just chat with him that's good okay I'm not saying that's not good and not right but he actually gave them a pathway of prayer he gave them words to repeat and pray and it wasn't like it's a formula where if you say these words you are praying it was joining their heart with the words and prayer happened so what I encourage you to do is pray scripture As you're reading the Bible, pause and just whatever you just read that that touched you or ministered or like made you feel alive, pause and just try and put words towards God about what you just read. Pray the scripture. Just pray the Bible. Second, do it with others. There's nothing um, like praying with people. New prayer comes out of you. Um, Passion comes like there's just it it makes prayer a lot more fun when you do with other people. And then third thing, I'd encourage you to shoot for consistency and brevity with your prayer life. Shoot for consistency and brevity. If we pray consistently, it doesn't need to be long. We don't get points for praying for a long time. Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees who just think that because of the words they're saying, they're getting favor with me. If there's sincere things to really pray on your heart for a long time, by all means, go for it for hours or whatever. But that's not um, you can't equate the length of the prayer with pleasing God's heart and with sincerity. So I just encourage you in this journey of prayer, start with consistency and brevity. Okay. Now you guys stand up. We're just going to pray for a couple minutes or like two minutes to end the service. And we're going to like do intercessory prayer together where we're um, praying out loud. I'll start us, but we're, we're praying out loud together. This, um, I went to the, Another guy on staff and I were at the mall praying for people. We prayed for this woman. Her back got healed. And then we said, hey, let's pray together for our country. And she was a black lady and she just said, yeah, let's do it. And so we grabbed hands. We didn't grab hands, but we got in a circle. We just started praying for our country together. And it was so powerful. The the, the connection of like believers getting together and praying. So I'm going to start praying. And for some of you to pray out loud right now, that's maybe stretching you. But for others, just let it rip. For those of you that's stretching, you can pray in your head. Just start to speak to God, okay? So Father, we speak blessing over our nation. Where the spiritual atmosphere would, would try to divide our country, we just release peace and um, your light into our city. Into our nation, God, we release um, light and, and truth. But even more than that, God, I pray for an inspiration for believers. We just, we release boldness over the body of Christ. Guys, go ahead and use your own words. There's really a grace right here for prayer, but join in with it. I just think that if you pray out loud right now, there's gonna be something that changes in your life where prayer is gonna become easier for you um, on your own. So right now, God, I just release prayer over the room. I release faith and courage to pray, clarity to pray. So, Father, we bless your name. We just pray you'd be honored in our life this week. I, I pray for an increased intimacy for everyone in this room with you throughout this week. Lead us into being a people that obey and that pray. In Jesus' name, amen.